be here this morning, and so this may be uh, a topic that's, and so that's okay. Um, maybe we'll glean some additional nuggets, but I want to start by looking at Luke chapter 2. Um, and you kind of free takeaway this morning is don't get your theology from Christmas carols. <laughs> they confuse the hound out of you. I, I, I enjoy Christmas songs. I enjoy um, singing about Christ. Um, but the more I study my word, the more I know that songwriters often don't study. <laughs> and so they're confused. And The miracle of Jesus coming into this world, we know that he existed beforehand. It's not his start. He was there. Described as the Word in John chapter 1. And everything that was made um, was made by Him and for Him. Um, but the fact that He was willing to come into His world, His creation, and be born um, is amazing. And that's not something to um, gloss over. Where what happened had been promised long, long before. And I'm going to try and put that in context. It Maybe it'll sink in a little bit better um, because sometimes I kind of lose those numbers because they're just so hard to wrap my head around. So Luke chapter 2 starts up, It came to pass in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made. If you want to think about the timing of when Jesus was going to be born, go back to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 and 25. You know, Caesar Augustus is one of the emperors or Caesars of the Roman Empire. They have conquered a huge swath of the world. Um, and now they're going to enroll everybody either in a census and then get all the inefficiencies that are going on there. But over in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25 says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, Shall be can try to figure out exactly how to get from Daniel's weeks there to the period that Christ was born. Um, he uses weeks often in a way that does not mean seven days. Um, and you know Daniel but unpack what I don't understand. But I, what I do want to say is that at this time Israel and Judah are all in captivity. Right? It's getting to the end of the captivity. I believe it's um. Um, so you're getting close to the point where Cyrus has sent some folks back, right? But the wall has still been torn down. The streets of, of Jerusalem are all messed up. Um, when Messiah comes, those things are already going to be rebuilt. The street shall be built again and the wall. And yet it still says it's in troublous times. Right? So you fast forward 500 years. Yeah, everything's been rebuilt, but the Jews are once again under military rule. Here's... Prior, right? So that would, be, and then it coming true now. Right? That's, that's a long time. English history that well to tell you which one. That's a long time ago. It's before the Bible was. Tra- Go back to Luke two. It says and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city, and Joseph went up from Galilee. Remember, Galilee is the northern region of uh, Israel, kind of the hinterlands, really. At this point, it's 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 like the boondocks. All right. Way out there, out of the city of Nazareth, which no one has anything positive to say about Nazareth. I mean, you can see it's kind of just looked disparagingly throughout Scripture. Into Judea, right? That's the southern portion now, down around Jer- Jerusalem. Unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. 
Alright, so he was of the house of David. Why is it significant that Joseph was the house of David? Well, you get go back to Isaiah chapter 9 in these numbers as ballparks. So understand that with a grain of salt. Isaiah 9 and 7. Well, let's start at 6. For unto us a child is born. So Jesus is going to be born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice. From henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So you've got to promise... 700, 750 years. So now, in our, imagine that 1250, 1300 for timeline, but going back from now. It's how long ago of saying who the lineage would be that this is going to be born. That Christ is going to be born. He's going to be a descendant of David. He's going to have the right to his throne. And it tells you, you know, 200 years later of what times are going to be like when he's born. And so he's going to be the house of David. Um, and, and David, and there's other verses, even earlier this, during David's time, when it was promised that his, his throne would go on for forever. And that's fulfilled in Christ. And so God's making these promises long, long, long in advance of saying, here's, a, here's the mile marker, here's the signpost. This is pointing to Christ is coming. He's coming into the world. He's going to come in a very specific way, and he's going to fulfill all these things. You've got the timing. You've got who the house he's going to be under. It's under David. And if you go back to uh, Matthew chapter 1, because we don't follow cunningly devised fables that start with long, long ago in a magic place or faraway land. Why does, why does God give you, you know, Matthew chapter 1? Because you can see the lineage. You can see who exactly does he trace his descent from. All right, so Matthew, this follows um, the royal bloodline. It goes from Abraham, and that's a promise back. We won't flip to it. Genesis 18, 18. Um, it's a first, one of the Messianic prophecies. Promises that all the nations of the world will be blessed by this child that's going to be of the seed of Abraham. And then later it's going to be of Isaac. That's Genesis 17, 19. And then um, Jacob. You can see... All of those individuals following exactly who it was going to be through the through the lineage. And why is it hard to read the census data in your Bible sometime? Well, it's census data. It's not fun to read that, but if you know exactly why it's there, it's the fulfillment of these promises from a long, 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 long time ago. All right. So between Jesus and Abraham is about the same distance from us and Jesus. Okay, it's a long time. And yet he had been promised that of his seed it would happen. Um, let's see. Well, let's just let's just flip to him. It won't take long. Genesis 18 and 18. It's it's worthwhile to just see where these promises are. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in of Christ beyond just natural Israel and the Jews, but to include us as Gentiles, all the nations. Right? And if you go to Acts chapter 3 and 25, it really 
explains that. <clears throat> Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 25, it says, Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, and turning away. In Genesis 18, and explaining here in Acts, it is, it is directly referring to the fulfillment by Christ. If you want the reference to Isaac, it's Genesis 17 and 19. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. Go down to Numbers 24, you can get to Jacob. Long, 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 long before Christ is born, right? You've got all these different markers pointing to him. Who exactly is he going to be a descendant of? Numbers 24 and 17. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy. See that star? Um, well, that's referenced multiple times, but one of the guiding the wise men, right? You've got the star. It's a very special star. It's one that's able to give you an exact address. Being referenced as the morning star and the day spring, um, and the scepter being the implement for the king and reigning, come from. And he did. He fulfilled it down to the exact... Luke chapter point him, he went to Bethlehem. That was where his father and family was at. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Right? You got Jerusalem, six miles south. Well, he lived up in Galilee, right? Nazareth. So it was about seventy five miles as the crow flies to get to Jerusalem and another six. Alright? Gotta do a little bit of walking right before he made a trip for, for Mary to make. Alright, so they come down to Bethlehem. Why'd it have to be Bethlehem? Well, back in Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, it says that's where the Christ was going to be born. You've got the when, you've got the what the lineage, and the where. Micah, chapter 5, and verse 2. Find it. Micah. There you are, right after Jonah. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Look to it. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, thou being little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is going, going forth have been from old and from everlasting. So it's told there that the Christ, when he comes, he's going to come from Bethlehem. Now the scribes um, and Pharisees to him. You can see that over in Matthew chapter 2. They didn't understand all the prophecies appointed to Christ. Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, for thus it is written by the prophet, this is quoting Micah, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Right? So, you've got the timing was quite a ways back too. I think it was even earlier. Micah was a contemporary with Isaiah. 
So that's another one that's about 750 years ago. So for our, vernac our, our mindset, imagine going back to the year about 1200 and God saying, this is going to happen. And you got 750 years of waiting. Do we get a little impatient at times? <laughs> to be taxed with his wife, Mary, is a, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. She was great with child. She was about to have this baby. She had a long, rugged journey. All right. Now, at this point, Mary and Joseph have both already been visited by an angel. Both of them, separately, had been told, Mary before she conceived, and then Joseph afterwards, that she was going to have a child, um, and they were going to name him Jesus. And Mary was particularly confused by this because she had never known a man. Right? Well, that was a fulfillment of another promise, that it would be a special birth. There would be no human father. They call it the virgin birth. Um, you want to talk about issues where you, know, you can disagree with folks on some minor points of theology. This ain't one. If Christ was not born of a virgin, then he's just a man. He's not God. And his death on the cross wouldn't have amounted to anything. The fact that he was just born of a woman... And the Holy Spirit, we know that can anything clean come from that which is unclean? You can understand that Mary is a virgin. She was a sinner. Yeah, there's nothing that says she wasn't. But the Holy Ghost came over her. And this is Luke chapter 1, where it says, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So she's told by that angel that she was going to have... Um, birth of a son, she was not going to know a man, it was going to be the Holy Ghost conceiving her. And that's another um, promise that was made of this is how it's going to happen in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. So that was the, the ancient promise. Again, 750 some odd years before, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God came in person. Right? And the angel told both Mary and uh, Joseph that they were going to name Joshua. Right? Remember Joshua in the Old Testament was the one who, after Moses died, he was the one who had to lead the people. And where did he lead them? He led them into the promised land. Right? His name used to be Oshea. Right? Oshea was his original name. Okay. So even in his name change, he's pointing to Christ of it's going to be God doing the delivering. Right? He brought them into a land. It was a, it was a great land, but it's only a type. And so he's told them what it's going to be named, and, and they do. They name him that. It's born of a woman. Um, so we'll read a little bit. To be taxed with his wife, back in Luke 2. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Now, how long were they there between arriving and her birth? I don't know. It doesn't say. It just says her days were accomplished. So I made a quip about the long walk. Could have been when they rolled into town. It could have been several weeks later. Um, but we know that they didn't have a place to stay. Um, you know, his family find lodging in the inn. Now, Bethlehem wasn't a large town. Like, it wasn't, you know, little village, but it was somewhere in between. It wasn't a city by any means. And so when it says the inn, it probably means there was just one inn. And it was full. And the government's moving slow, and you got all these folks going back to wherever their descent came from. And so um, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, 
laid him in a manger. Now that word manger has uh, two translations in our King James. One is manger and the other is stall. From context, it sounds like if he's actually laid in it, it's probably referring to the, the feed stall, the feed, the manger um, where, they, where they feed animals. But uh, it can also be translated when you're leading your animal out of the stall to take them to water. Um, so what, you get the idea that they're, they're there, or they're in some kind of barn, um, and there's no room for them because there was no room for them in the inn. Right? Does it say there's a whole bunch of animals in there? Does it say there's camels? Does it say there's sheep? Does it say there's a drummer boy? Doesn't say any of that. Okay. Doesn't say she had a midwife. I've, I've seen all sorts of interesting stories about folks adding in things to Scripture. It doesn't say. It says there was no room from the inn, and so they were somewhere where there was a man to the incarnate God was promised way, 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 way back in the garden. Right after Adam and Eve fell, it was promised in Genesis 3-5. It would be the seed of a Romans 3, not Romans, excuse me, Genesis 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, referring to the snake, and between thy seed and her seed, Okay. That was the first messianic prophecy. You can see that explained in Galatians 4. So how do we know something's a messianic prophecy? Well, the New Testament says this is messianic. But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So it's made of a woman... And then you can see in Romans 16 and 2. Romans. Left off a zero, 16 and 20. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. So you've got the fulfillment of those two portions of um, Genesis 3.15. You've got when he comes back and he basically stomps Satan to death. Now Satan's already been defeated. right? He, he's a defeated foe. He knows his time is short, but the final... Um, defeating when he's ultimately put away for forever will be when Jesus defeats Alright, so go back to Luke. So in our timeline, Joseph and Mary come down to Bethlehem. They're there for an unknown period of time. Her days are accomplished. She has the baby. They're not inside the inn. They're in some place where there's a manger. Um, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, they were sore afraid. Um, you know, this is day four, time four electric lights. Right? If you pulled up with a fire truck and on a celestial <laughs> level, all right? and this is just one angel who appeared at first, but the glory of the Lord shone on about them. They were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the Lord, the Messiah. Christ means anointed. Um, same word in the Hebrew. Right? So he's told you, this has happened. Here's how you know it's happened. You go find the kid wrapped up 
and he's going to be in a manger, which is a strange spot for a newborn baby to be. Okay. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on, e- on earth peace, goodwill towards man. Now when you see the little choral things and they're singing that, it's all so light and pretty. And I imagine this was probably a deafening roar of the volume of all this heavenly host, praising God, because that which has been pointed to for thousands of years, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming, it's going to come exactly this way. He's here! This is the thing that the angels have been desiring to look into because they didn't understand it. The things that the Old Testament prophets, they didn't have it fully revealed to them. They were studying the Scripture and what had been uh, shown so they could see what was the manner of Christ and when would He come. They wanted to know, and now it's here. And so this glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. I imagine this was quite some amazing praise that was going on by this heavenly host. All right? And then they rose up, came to pass, the angels were gone away from them into heaven. And the shepherds said to one another, so you're kind of looking, what just happened? Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing. So they're in the same country, somewhere within you know close walking distance. Go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. Isn't that kind of weird of who he chose to tell? Right? Lowly shepherds, right? In Egypt, shepherds were just about considered you know, one step above plague victims. They were unclean. They were vile. This was not a noble station. This wasn't kings or princes or wise men. These were you know, not goat herders, but shepherd herders. You know, whatever they were shepherding, most likely sheep. Um, the lowest of the low, which is who Jesus came for. Right? He didn't come to heal the righteous. He came to heal the sick. He didn't come to call those who were perfect, but to call sinners to repentance. Okay? So they went. They came with haste. They were excited. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. So just like the uh, angel had promised, they went and found it out. Alright? So what do they do? They go and talk about it. Now imagine you're someone in town... There hasn't been really a public prophet in about 400 years. And these crazy little shepherds start knocking you up in the middle of the night. Hey, we just saw a whole bunch of angels and they said there's going to be a baby and there's going to be in the barn and look, we found him in there. Probably closed the door. <laughs> People wondered at it. They were amazed, but they didn't know what to make of it. And you know what didn't happen is that Mary and Joseph didn't add anything to it. Right? Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She didn't say, well, yeah, well, before this happened, an angel appeared unto me. And Joseph, folks know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They would always consider him just in Nazareth. Because other than a few folks, probably no one remembered that. Right? It was just that random nutty shepherds talking about it. His parents certainly didn't corroborate it. And so it kind of passes out of time. It's just a strange night. And when they had seen it, they made they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at that things, or marveled at them, which were told by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned as it was told unto them. So they was told it was going to be like this, and it was. Okay. Now, time passes. A week, specifically. 
And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision in the womb. All right, so why one week? Well, that goes back to Genesis 17, 12, which is when circumcision, which was given to Abraham, he said, you do that on the eighth day of the child as, as alive. And we know from our studies um, now that they're, but that was what he was told to do, and so that's what they're fulfilling. You're fulfilling it under the law. So on the eighth day, he's circumcised, and that's when they give the child the name. So Patton believed the angel and asked for a sign. He said, okay, here's your sign. Your sign is you're not going to talk until after this child is born. And so it was only when he said, you know, his name is John, and he had to write it out on a tablet that he was able to speak again. But he did that on the day that he was circumcised. All right. So why was he named Jesus? Well, because Mary was told by the angel, name him Jesus. And then that was before she conceived. And then after she'd already conceived and Joseph had found out about it, an angel appeared to him and says, you'll name him Jesus. So, they were obedient. All right? Jesus, God saves. All right? Joshua. And then you've got another time passage. 22. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. All right. Now, if you go back to Leviticus 12, Leviticus 12, 2 through 4, Uh, I'll start one. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, So we did that. Then shall she, she shall be unclean seven days, according to the days of the separation of her infirmity. She shall be unclean. And so that was under the Old Testament ceremonial law. There were seven days that she was considered just, just unclean. The eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. All right? And she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. Seven plus thirty-three, total of forty days. She shall touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. So they could not have gone to the temple any sooner because she had to wait her total 40 days, the 33 after he was circumcised, because she was still unclean. She couldn't go to the sanctuary. So you've got a 40-day period passing between verses uh, 20 to 22. And then... Once that had occurred, it was required under the law, and they meet Simeon, who was a very old man, but the Lord had told him, you're going to see the Lord's Christ before you die. And so he sees this baby, and he gets the divine revelation that this is, she's been looking for the consolation of Israel, which is another name for the Messiah coming, and she sees him, and she praises God you know, as well. All right. And then over in verse 39, it says, When they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. All right. So in between, they did all the things according to the law of the Lord, and they returned in their own Gal- into the city of Galilee. That's when the events in Matthew take place. Matthew chapter. 8. There came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, "Where is he that was born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him." And Herod the king begins. He's troubled. He called the wise men. It's in Bethlehem. Down in verse seven. Herod calls the wise men to him privately. No one else is around. And now the east is a long way away, right? If you're going east, you got a big old desert, and you keep going, you get to Babylon and Asia, and I don't know how far east, doesn't say. Doesn't say their names, doesn't say how many they are. You get a lot of Christmas songs that'll confuse you on that too. But they came long distance, so if you're going 500 miles to Babylon, that's going to take a minute, right? So the stars appeared, and they start hiking. He's asked, wanting to know, when did it appear? Now, we don't know exactly what the answer is, but later he's going to some self some wiggle room there. Um, 
But he asks them, and then he sends them to Bethlehem. Go search diligently for the young child, and when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him. So they come in from the east, talking about And the king, you know, King Herod's really upset by this. You know, no political leader wants to hear that they're going to be replaced. And so he wants to find out some recon about where he gets at. So they send him the six miles south down. All right, when they heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star, which they'd seen at the east, went before them. Went before them. It was moving. This is not an ordinary star. This is not a comet. This is not something that a scientist can rationally explain away. This is something they could see from hundreds of miles away. It went before them till it came and stood. That means it stopped over where the young child was. Have you ever gotten pinpoint drop locations from stargazing? <laughs> I haven't. So this is something special. Can I explain exactly what it was? When saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Now, they've been watching the star for a long time. What are they, what are they rejoicing about? Probably that it stopped and they knew that they were at their destination. And when they saw... And when they were coming to the barn, came into the house. They found lodging. They're now lodged somewhere. They come into the house. And Luke, no, the young child. And Mary and his mother fell, uh, saw the young child with Mary's mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we could look at the significance of that in the Old Testament patterns that they should not return to Herod. All right, So to be warned of God, they didn't go straight back north. And when they were departed, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. All right, So you've got at least one sleep, and they've left his mother and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek to destroy the young child. All right, Does he twiddle his thumbs? When he arose, he took the young child and his mother from that dream. He got up, and they packed, and they left. All right? There's no time to, to hang around. And, all right? and they left for Egypt that night. And they stayed there until the death of Herod, however long that was. I don't know. That so, I think that's a reference to Hosea 11 and 1. Um, let's see. If you look at the beginning of Hosea, you can see 150, 780 years before Christ is born. And in verse uh, chapter 11, he's saying that he is going to... When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And so you've got all these kind of confusing prophecies. Long, long way. So he sends him to Egypt to deliver him out of the hand of Herod. Now Herod was very displeased. Right? He saw that he had been ignored. Do leaders like to be ignored? <laughs> Not a bit. Right? He, he was exceeding wroth when he saw that he was mocked to the wise men. That's how he took it. And so he sent for all. And in the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So there is this massive massacre. Terrible, terrible, horrible thing that's not only in Bethlehem, but it's in the villages round about. And by doing so, he fulfilled... Another prophecy that the Lord had given, it says in verse 17, is fulfilled the word which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. It's Jacob's favorite wife, Joseph's mother. When she died, she was buried near Bethlehem. So her tomb was there. Ramah is a city of Benjamin that's a little bit farther to the north of Bethlehem. A little farther than I would have thought when I was Joshua, where they're parceling out the land to figure out where Ramah comes into play. But this is... A large swath of the land 
where all the babies are killed. Because so they're going to stay in Egypt until he dies. Verse 19, but when Herod was dead, how long does that take? I don't know. How long does it take to get to Egypt? It's a pretty good hike. So Gideon, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go into the... The angels don't appear to him when he's awake like they did to Mary. So he's saying, It's okay to go home. And he rose, and they started the trip back, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. He said, don't go back to Bethlehem. It's time to go home. And so he had come from Nazareth originally, and that's where he went back to. So he shall be called a Nazarene. Why exactly the significance of Nazarene? A lot of folks argue about it, so I won't give any opinion, so I don't know. <laughs> um, it's not a direct quote from anywhere in the Old Testament. So it's a summary of something. Um, and notice it says spoken by the prophets. Um, it probably has to do with him being referenced as a man of sorrow and scorned. Um, which you can see with the reaction when it comes, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, the sect of the Nazarenes, and can any good thing from Enigma, right? <laughs> Some random little backwater town that, you know, is, it, is there any prophet come out of that? No, right? So that's most likely. All right. God's a much better planner than you or I. Right? He, his, his plans stretch over millennia. You got the promises back in the garden. These people, you know, and the scale of that is, for us, it'd be like having those prophecies go back to Jesus' time, and then 500 A.D., and then... Uh, and during that 400 years, it'd be easy to get a little bitter. And yet, in his right timing, Jesus comes into this world, born. It's there, and he's fulfilling every single one. He's going to call him out of Egypt. Well, he's going to send him to Egypt. Why is he going to do that? Because he's going to have this massive murder. And Rachel and all those are mourning for these children. Every single one of these is fulfilled perfectly. Right? It can be distorted, um, and we should be very careful um, that when we talk about Christ and we try to teach, that we make sure that our preconceived notions, even if it's a preacher who said it, or a carol, or whatever, there are many grotesque and distorted versions of Christ easily accessible. There's only access that you have. He's written about him. When Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples, this is after the resurrection, he doesn't reveal who he is, but he explains and opens up the scripture going all the way back to Genesis and says how it all pointed to him. When he's talking to the, prophet, the, to the Pharisees, he said, you search out the scriptures. You think that by him you have salvation, but they all speak of me, and I'm paraphrasing there. And so this is all, you know, history. You use that catchphrase, his story. It's about Christ. This is his text that he's given to us to learn. So, you know, does, did, did any of this, did it mention a date? Does it mention a month? No. Could the exact month and date and year 
that the siege started in Jerusalem and the day the city fell. God is more than capable of giving you specific dates. If He chose not to, don't make it up. Right? Now, do I have any problem with y'all celebrating Christmas? I don't have a problem with that. Just recognize the truth. that I mean, there are Christmas songs that says, As the Bible said, He was born on December 25th. I'm like, it doesn't say that. It doesn't. Is it fine to set aside a day to remember the day of His birth? Fine. But do it in knowledge and understanding. And, and don't limit your worship of God and Christ and the miracle of the Incarnation to just one day a year. It's bigger than that. He's bigger than that. He's worthy of that. All right? Let's see. Just one final thought. Romans um, 14. Romans 14. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. He that giveth, thank, giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, or whether, for whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. Our convictions, sometimes this word gets used too broadly, our, we apply Scripture into specific situations in our life. If there is an area of my life where I see that I'm not living in accordance with Scripture, that's me being convicted about it. And so then I make that change. You may not have the exact same convictions about how you apply Scripture to your life. Okay? It is our understanding of how we go about implementing those things. Right? There's judgment, there's discernment. We can be at different points of our walk with things that didn't used to bother us, and now they really do. But my takeaway from this passage is that if one is esteeming one day and they're doing it to the Lord, and we don't esteem that day, we don't need to look down our nose at them and judge them. If they're doing it because they're serving the Lord to the best of their knowledge and ability, okay. Now, if they ask you your conviction, share it. But there's a balance, right? Convictions are something the Lord is going to grow you into. I can't grow you into it. You know, Does this say anything about trees? Well, there's really not much positive spoken about in the Old Testament about trees in the context of a Christmas tree. They tend to be associated with when they were getting astray and leading to worshiping idols. They have these groves and they'd worship them there. Do we have a Christmas tree in our house? No. no. That's, a con that's a conviction on my part. If you have a tree, it does not bother me. If you are got that up because you're celebrating Christ and you're enjoying you know, the season to get him, okay. I'm not going to hold you to the standard of my conviction. Right? If this said, thou shalt not have a tree, then I'd be up here saying, thou shalt not have a tree. It doesn't say. 
So it's how do we conform our life? There's a lot of areas where we have to make day-to-day decisions. All right? And with the best of our understanding, you and I may make different decisions. Okay? And so there's a fine line between knowing something wrong and being convicted about it and not following through on your conviction. In that case, you're wrong. All right? If you've been shown something, if you understand something, and you're scared or you don't want to or you're lazy, that's a problem. That's very different than thinking, well, from my best understanding, this is fine. Right? This glorifies God. So when you know something's a problem and you don't turn it aside or you know that you're supposed to be doing something and you don't start it, that's a problem. And so we need to be careful. But most importantly, that when we talk about convictions, they're inward focused. How do I apply Scripture to my life? It's not how do I apply Scripture to your life. The Lord's going to teach you. And I can set a good example, but when I get on my high horse and start glowering down at you because you don't hold to my convictions and understandings, and guess what? Your convictions have probably changed over the course of your life. Mine sure have then they probably should. It's not God's Word changing. This may have been rambling. You may not have gotten anything new out of it. Um, But Christ came into the world. He did. And that's amazing. Fully God, fully man, without sin. And He didn't stop there. Sometimes the the world kind of likes to keep Him in baby Jesus mode, right? That's less threatening. Right? He grew up, which is just crazy to think about. God grew up. And his man, he grew up. And he was younger than I was when he was taken and arrested and beaten and slain, allowed himself to be slain by that which he created. And he did it voluntarily. And by that, you're no longer bound to sin. And he rose from the grave and he's sitting on the right hand of God. He is sitting as king. We don't worship little baby Jesus. We worship King Jesus. And he's living and he's ruling. And while every knee is not bowing yet, keyword in that is yet. Because they will. Every knee should bow. That means it will at one point. You ought to all be bowing and acknowledging now, will they? At the yet. When he comes back, It will be a a notable day. Him coming into the world, that was an amazing day in history. Him dying on the cross, that's an amazing day in history. Him resurrected, that's an amazing day in history. Kind of the last amazing day in history is going to be when he comes back. Because then there's no point to time. Time has to measure between two points. You've got to have intervals, all right? The intervals are for our benefit. God's eternally existent. He doesn't need time. Time is for us. And so we're going to, time will really stop. Because there's not going to be an end to measure it against. Okay? That's what we're looking forward to. That's who we worship. The mighty, sovereign God of the universe who came into the creation and saved his people and that he was victorious. And there's not a thing that you can do to undo what he did. Right? That's who we worship. That's why we come out here in the cold. Because he is worthy of our praise and worthy of being excited about him and worthy of serving him. So I thank y'all for your time and attention.